This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi, I'm Eric. And I am Brittany. And we are... For colored nerds. The conversations that black people have. And white people are not in the room. But we record them. And we put them on the internet. We, You know what? We used to not have like a set pattern for that, like who who's on first. But now like, you're always on first. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I just noticed that it's... I don't mind switching. No, I mean, it doesn't really matter. I just noticed, like, I think it's smoother to always have it be the same every time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, how's it going, man? <laughs> so for those of you guys who don't know, because you don't know, because you can't see. Yeah. We're not... This is not visual experience. Um, it is Thursday, November 10th yes. in the good old US of A. We were recording this. And this is actually the first episode that we've recorded so close to a release date in a while because we've both been really super busy. Yeah. And so, like, we have been kind of like batch recording and we've been working with a fantastic producer, Bethel. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. So, if you feel like we've been able to perform with some consistency recently, you can you can thank her. And also, everybody who donates on Patreon, patreon.com slash for colored nerds. Um, but yeah, we hadn't, we haven't like actually sat down and then like put something out the next week in a really long time. It's true. Um, so, by the time you hear this, you're probably still going to be feeling as shitty as we do. Yeah, I feel I I'm, I'm yeah, <laughs> I feel I feel pretty pretty fucking terrible. I'm furious because I was really excited to sit down and have this conversation, the conversation we had planned to have before the election. Uh huh. And like now that conversation is different. The wind is out of my sails. How are you feeling? I know how you're feeling, but how do you see the road ahead? Um, I am really trying not to think about it. I wasn't surprised really by the outcome because I am from the state of Michigan, which aside from like the Detroit area, like the metropolitan area, is filled with a lot of folks who are likely to be Trump supporters. The perfect storm of just like white or poor working class, maybe middle class, living in a rural or semi-rural area and just tired of feeling like... The country is no longer theirs. It's been hard for me watching a lot of white people be in tears, you know, especially white people in the place where we live in Brooklyn, who likely have pretty decent amount of money. It's hard because, like, I know that we live in a bubble, but like Thanksgiving is coming up. Mm -hmm. A lot of white people are going to be leaving that bubble and going to spend time with their Trump supporting family. And I feel like I talk to a lot of people and they're like, I don't know how this happened. I can't believe it happened. And I'm like. Or, or people being like, oh, I'm going to leave the country. And it's like, you're a white person with money. You live in Brooklyn. Yeah. No shade. No shade. But there are a lot of things that are going to go down in the next four years that are not really going to directly affect you to the point where you need to get out of here. There are people who are going to lose health insurance. You know, I've been looking on the timeline, seeing a lot of the trans folks I follow talking about, I got to move next year because yeah. it's open season on my ass. In addition to the fact that I'm not going to be able to get the the sort of medical treatment that I need. Like, it's been hard for me to watch liberal white people's response to this election. I had someone tweet at me recently. I don't want to shout them out because it's not fair. I said something about like a lot of people are wondering how this happened. And I'm like, it's your your family. It was y'all's yeah. cousins, the people who you about to sit down with several times over the next couple of months. These are the people that made this happen. It wasn't black people who voted third party. It wasn't black people who decided not to you know show up to the polls. Overwhelmingly so, it was white people of all demographics and backgrounds. Yeah, you are likely to be related to at least a couple of these folks. And you know, I had somebody be like, "Yeah, the people that I've been you know talking to for the past eighteen months, like trying to reach." What I wanted to say was, what I didn't say. What I wanted to say was, I've been dealing with these people for the past twenty nine years. Yeah, 
this coming Tuesday, on the nose, 29 years I've been dealing with these people. If you feel exasperation at the people in your family even being willing to engage you in politics, like, imagine how I feel. I've been doing this for 29 years and they don't even want to talk to me or acknowledge me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, there's a level of, of, like, straight up danger that I think a lot of black, brown, LGBT folks are feeling right now. Like, Mm -hmm. or it's just like... Muslim people? Muslim people, yeah, yeah, like danger, li- yeah. literal danger. Yeah. And like I don't think white people realize that like this one is going to have repercussions on them too. Yeah, I mean it's it's going to take a little while, but like But this is this is like this is this is bad for everybody. This is bad for this is the decision to me feels overwhelmingly racist or even just as bad, overwhelmingly like indifferent to how racism may directly affect people of color. It's also been pretty fucking sexist. And it's like weird because I feel like so many white people who didn't see this coming or didn't want to see this coming and didn't really do things to engage some of their peers, friends, and family. Yeah. I feel like they're just now realizing how racism and sexism, when left unchecked among their own, directly affects everyone. And everything. Like yeah. this now, what people don't realize is like white people just chose white people over everything everything white women overwhelmingly chose whiteness over everything you chose whiteness over the climate you chose whiteness over the health of our economy over the health of the world economy you chose whiteness over especially white women chose whiteness over the ability to choose what to do with their bodies and i and i also just don't think people realize like how how difficult this is going to be to fix if oh, it's yeah. even if we even have the opportunity to fix it yeah like this is going to be hard on a level that probably i know that nobody our age like can conceive of mm-hmm. you know like this just turned up the stakes as if the situation wasn't already bad yeah i'm just i'm i'm i'm, I'm furious yeah I I'm angry. I'm sad. Um, I'm really irritated by people calling for like healing and you know saying that you know we're gonna come together and you know all this kind of stuff. Um, Fuck that! <laughs> like straight up, folks do not want to come together with us. No, you don't. And to have the almost the entirety of our government be supportive of a structure that's that's okay with that type of culture, mm-hmm. a culture of racism, a culture of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Like, like I'm fucking exhausted, and I don't deserve that. My child doesn't deserve that. Yeah, my wife doesn't deserve that. Yeah. You don't deserve that. I don't. Like, trans people don't deserve that. LGBT no. people, like, just, just nobody fucking deserves <laughs> yeah. this. Like, yeah. it's crazy. I don't know. I mean, the other thing I've seen a lot of is just a lot of people shifting towards like the fight. You know, like protests and volunteering in organizations and giving mm-hmm. money, you know, to groups like the ACLU. I think that's super important. And I think mm-hmm. that's going to be really necessary. And I would encourage anybody who feels comfortable doing that to do that. Yeah. But I also like, I guess I also am like struggling to shift out of the fear and the anger into the action. I'm not quite there yet. If that makes any sense, like, yeah. I'm, and 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 that's even tough for me because, like, I like I support everything that everyone else is doing, but I'm just mm-hmm. like, like, I'm still trying to process my feelings about the message that was sent, mm-hmm. as opposed to being able to like turn those emotions into action. Like, I just want to make sure I'm saying that there is a validity to understanding how you feel before you feel moved to act. Yeah, understand yeah. how you feel. Take care of yourself. Yeah. Mind it, your own safety and, like, your own boundaries also. Yeah. And and when you, if and when you feel like you're ready, that's when you, that's when you do it. You can't do the work unless, you know, your health and all that sort of stuff is in check. So do what you got to do, man. Uh, we'll still be here. We will. We'll still be here. <laughs> um, but. But. You know. I think we've already talked more than we need to talk about this. Um, so. Now, what? Mm, I'm struggling. So, uh, all right. So let's talk about <laughs> what we're going to do now. Is we're going to talk about what we came here to talk about. What we've been planning. Yes, sending a message of healing. Yes, to Lord. this world is 
Mr. Reverend Dr. Barry Jenkins, director of a little movie called Moonlight. See, I'm, I'm just going to... He's not here. He's not here. He's not here at I've all. I've never met him. We, I, we don't know him. We haven't even emailed to try to know him. No, we haven't. We didn't even bother. <laughs> but he deserves a strong round of applause. He deserves a super strong round of applause. If you have not seen the movie Moonlight, I don't know if there's going to be too many spoilers. Well, it probably going to be some spoilers in here. So, I mean, deal with that. But you need to go <laughs> see this movie. Yeah, if it's showing in your area, please, 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 please run and see it. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It will affect you. Deeply. Anyway, we're going to talk about it. If you know that you're probably going to see it soon, I would just be like, watch the movie and then listen to this. Yeah, if you don't mind, you know, a few spoilers here and there, just like keep listening. And I will say that if this movie would have been quote unquote spoiled for me, I would have still enjoyed watching it. Yeah. Like, I don't say that as like just because I'm like trying to get every listen that we can into no, the podcast. The, the artistry of it was beautiful. Yeah. So what is Moonlight? So Moonlight follows a young man named Chiron through three like really important periods of his life. It's really beautiful because like there are threads that connect all three periods, but each period kind of can work as its own vignette. Yes. And also each period is marked by whatever name Chiron is, is primarily going by at that point in time. So the first period is when he's like seven, eight, nine and he's called little. Then the next period is when he was like a teenager. It seems like maybe 16, 17 years old. And he goes by Chiron. Um, and the third period is called Black, which is when he is in, it seems like his like mid-20s, mid to late 20s. Yeah. Through these three periods, you learn a lot about who Chiron is, where he comes from. The story starts, it seems like the late 80s in Miami. Liberty so, City. Liberty City, right. Chiron is growing up in Miami in Liberty City with a crack-addicted mother named Paula, played by Naomi Harris, who is incredible. Yeah. And it just sort of deals with his dysfunctional home life and how Chiron comes of age despite considerable challenges. Yeah. And a big portion of this is him discovering his own sexuality. I think that that definitely has to be said. Yeah, 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 yeah. Discovering his own sexuality. I've seen, like, some descriptions sort of talk about him falling in love, but I wouldn't characterize... Yeah, I don't think that's as important to the narrative, but him understanding who he is and feeling okay with that, I Mm -hmm. think is definitely part of his journey. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know, to me, I sort of felt like the triumph of the film was watching somebody who had, I'm going to use this word 10,000 times in this episode, but to me, I felt like somebody whose early life was so lacking in tenderness in so many ways, be able to learn to identify it and seek it out and ask for it. Yeah, and Um, feel deserving of that. And feel deserving of that throughout his life. Yeah. I feel like so many narratives like this can be so bleak. Do you know what I mean? Um, That'll come up later. (laughs) That'll come up later. They can be so bleak. Uh, I really appreciated the fact that, like, I felt like there was just, like, a through line of love that just went through the entire film. And I felt like no matter how dire things got for Chiron or seemed like they were getting for Chiron, he always had some access to love. And I really liked that. Yeah. And, like, I think we could talk about the themes in this film for... Years? Yeah, years, hours, decades. But I think it's important to really start with how, again, something you mentioned, the beauty and the artistry of the film. Yeah. Like, Barry Jenkins, who, his only other feature-length film Mm -hmm. is Medicine for Melancholy, which we talked about in a recent episode. We talked about that, I think we mentioned it maybe a couple times, but specifically we talked about it in... Black Film Canon, right? Yeah, Black Film Canon. But Medicine for Melancholy is a very different film. Yeah. I think that it's important for that to be said. It's it's an excellent film. I, I personally love the movie. Yeah. It's almost like Black Folks Before Sunrise. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. That's, like, <laughs> That's actually really, really good. It's like Before Sunrise with Black Folks in San Francisco. Yeah. And Before Sunrise, if you don't know, is like a, is an Ethan Hawke and Julie. Julie Delpy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's like their love story where they just kind of wander around and talk. They have this kind of like brief fleeting kind of romantic Yeah. And moment. it's cute. And it's like white. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's a good movie. I but I don't, no Richard Linklater, <laughs> I fuck with him heavily. Yeah, 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 yeah. No shade at all. It's a really good. It's it's a good movie. I like the the whole series actually. Yeah, but Medicine for Melancholy is definitely just like that. Well, not just like that in like a you know derivative. No, but thing, it falls but into a completely different camp than correct. Moonlight. Yeah, and I, I just think that's important because it really kind of shows the skill. Mm-hmm. The skill level, you know what I'm yes. saying? Like you have, so you have, you know, certain directors who, and again, this isn't a knock, but certain directors who their films 
have a through line in the sense of like aesthetics and the way they feel and sound and interact with each mm-hmm. other. Like I'm thinking the easiest example is maybe like Woody Allen. Mm-hmm. Like Woody Allen's films, like he's gotten experimental yeah. you know, as he's gotten older, but for the most part, you know, they follow a kind of a similar structure. Yeah, um, yeah. And I just think it's impressive that for Barry Jenkins to be relatively early in his career, mm-hmm. to be able to make two very, very high-quality movies that are completely independent of each Wildly other. Wildly different. Yeah. Um, so, like, that's important. But then just, like, all the elements, like, the way that it's lit. Oh, my you know, God. To talk about the way that it's lit. Like, literally, there's a scene where Chiron and his kind of, like, I would guess you say, like, surrogate father or, like... Uh, well, yeah, his father figure, father Juan. Fi- yeah, Juan, played masterfully by Mahershala Ali. Oh, my God. Oh, my Whoa. God. Whoa. They go out at night, almost at dusk, if yeah, you will. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they go swimming in the ocean. And the colors, it was touching in itself. Like, the moment itself made you feel. But then if you just even took a slight step back and just looked at how beautiful it looked. Yeah. That was enough to bring you literally, like, almost to tears. Yeah. There's something to be said about people who understand and have garnered enough skill to render the beauty of black people in a given environment. And Mm -hmm. this was definitely like one of those films. I was stunned by how gorgeous this film was. There are so many amazing things done with light, with movement, the way that certain body parts are focused on. There's another scene when Chiron is a teenager and he's uh, on the beach with a friend in this really intimate moment. And I imagine if you're from Miami, seeing like nearby streetlights kind of light up the sand on the beach late at night while the tide's moving in and out. I imagine that's one of those things that's both like magical and commonplace. Yeah. And like the lighting captured that perfectly. The sand was so white. You could sort of see the ocean billowing in the background, but it didn't necessarily come in too clearly. And you just felt like there was this huge expanse of like dark sky that was above them. But there was still like a wash of moonlight to sort of like undercut the harsh overhead yeah. streetlight. And it just made the whole scene feel otherworldly and glittery. And literally, they were they just shot down in Miami next to the beach. Yeah. And like I was watching that and I was like, they look like they're on another planet. Yeah. It was very instructive for kind of how you were supposed to feel. So mm-hmm. like they're in a place that is known for being hard and for being violent, mm-hmm. you know, and for being bleak and dark. And like it was that. Mm -hmm. You know, in terms of how they shot it. But there were all of these little things that injected a sense of optimism Mm -hmm. and beauty and maybe, as you mentioned, like tenderness into the way things actually looked, Mm -hmm. um, which was really cool. And like coming back to something, something else you said, the sense of movement was really interesting in how they captured certain shots. Mm Like I remember there was one shot where they were getting into a car and the camera was it seemed like it was attached to the car door. Yeah. And when the door opened, it shifted out of focus for even though the people who you might think would be focused on yeah. the center of the shot, like they were not that. You were supposed to kind of ride with them as an outsider on the car, yeah. which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like really, really well done. Yeah. Can't, can't say enough of how well this movie was executed. Yeah. And also we're going to get to this later, but like so much of boy coming of age films, like there's so much violence in them. Yeah. And I felt like the beauty was given more credence. Like I said, as bleak as Chiron's life seemed at certain points, life was at certain points, there was still so much space for beauty. Like I felt like when your life is your life and that's all you know, you find pockets of beauty in it wherever. Do you know what I mean? And I felt like the cinematography was helping the audience to see the pockets of beauty in his life. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. As he would see them himself. Yeah, and another component I think that's really important and like shouldn't be lost is like, the uh, so Barry Jenkins actually like adapted this from a stage play, mm-hmm. and he wrote it in conjunction with the writer of the stage play, Terrell McCraney. Yes, and it's like the the writing is like it's really good. Like yeah. it's it's really really good. And I think there's something to be said for the fact that both of these men are from Miami, are from Liberty City. They actually grew up right around the corner from each other. Yeah. 
if you have a chance, check out there's an episode of Code Switch. Oh my gosh. Uh, yes. Like so Gene Demby uh sat down with Barry Jenkins and they had a like an awesome talk yeah. about the film and like his evolution writing it. So mm-hmm. you should check that out. Because I think it felt natural. The dialogue didn't feel forced. No. Like it it, it felt very true to life. There were things I'm like, yep. That's how it goes. Like, yeah. you know, I'm like, yep, that that sounds familiar. That's how that's how black people actually talk. That's how yeah. black people in these situations talk. Yeah. This is how we deal with emotion. Like, it, he, it, it felt natural. Yeah. Even like there's a scene at the end, a very, very intimate scene. And, and, and one of the things I think that like, I mean, I love a romantic comedy. You know this. But like one of the things I think that a lot of like romantic scenes in movies and television in general get wrong is like, I feel like most intimate interaction when you have a partner or somebody that you're at least intimate with on some level like that it's not absolutely no speech do you know what i'm saying you're still going to communicate but it's not a whole bunch of explaining and talking and waxing that scene wasn't necessarily about true love but like there's so many parts of like my young life where maybe i dated somebody and ultimately it didn't work out but like there's a, this feeling of recognition that you have when you yeah. know that you can really like calm down and let your and guard let down. Yeah. yeah. And like I just felt like he hit that so on target without using too many words yeah. or too few words. I felt like they were talking as people would in real life. Yeah. So now actually I think it's a good time for us to take a break. Okay. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's Rob Lowe here. If you haven't heard, I have a podcast that's called Literally with Rob Lowe. And basically, it's conversations I've had that really make you feel like you're pulling up a chair at an intimate dinner between myself and people that I admire, like Aaron Sorkin or Tiffany Haddish, Demi Moore, Chris Pratt, Michael J. Fox. There are new episodes out every Thursday. So subscribe, please, and listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. And we're back. We are back. I think the themes of the movie are really important. So much of, like, the conversation around black movies in general this year has been about the importance of themes in movies. Yeah. Like, you know, if we're being honest, so much of this year is, like, discussion around black film has been around the film Birth of a Nation yeah. and like the importance of telling this historical story yeah. and, and I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on highlighting why that broke down. Um, we all know. We all know. Y'all know. Yeah. But I would actually venture to say the themes in this film are more important yeah. and are more relevant to like what we should be engaging with in 2016. Yeah. You know, and are executed in a way that is a million times more healthy yeah. than, you know, what we could have been lauding. Like, yeah. Than the movie we could have been lauding. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and those themes are, you know, discovering yourself. Mm-hmm. Masculinity. Yes. Healthy and unhealthy. Yeah. 
finding family. Yes, 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 yes. You know, like forgiveness Mm -hmm. and love. Yeah, like actually using each other as a spaces for refuge. I feel like you rarely get to see contemporary stories where people are dealing with everyday shit and just need each other. Yeah, and and this movie like has all those themes Mm -hmm. and weaves them together in this in this really really amazing and natural and beautiful way. Yeah. And one of the things that personally struck me yeah. was how this movie reckons with masculinity. I want to talk about that because, like, okay, so our last episode was about the fits, yeah. right? And, like, that was me talking about, like, she nailed it. Like, this is what it feels like to grow up as a young woman. So much of it is, like, focusing on your body and bodily transformation. And I feel like I told you some shit that was new. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> That's why I'm sitting here, like, when you said you wanted to talk about, like, masculinity and, like, where that comes from and, and how that affects you as a young man— I'm saying I'm all ears. Totally. Like, uh, this movie, you know, this movie really hit the nail on the head with that. Like, you know, there's a scene where uh, Chiron, at this point, people call him Little. Mm -hmm. And he is in a field just running around playing, like, I think they were playing football. or like It was like a soccer ball. But, like, they were just running around. It was was a bunch of kids, a bunch of little black kids, Mm -hmm. black and brown kids, just running around playing. Mm -hmm. And... That scene was so like visceral. It was one of the. It was another example of like the way movement is really important mm-hmm. because you were you were almost seeing it from Chiron's point of view. Yeah, and it was exciting. It was stressful. It was fearful. It was all those things at one point mm-hmm. because you can tell that Chiron isn't necessarily. This isn't just play for him. Mm-hmm. He's trying to find acceptance into this group. And a part of the way that these boys know to play is to wrestle, is mm-hmm. to, you know, like fight might be a strong word because it's not like, you know, I don't think it was these boys' intentions to be violent in this yeah. moment. But there was a sort of violence a part of that, like mm-hmm. in wrestling and in like trying to like almost fight to find acceptance and friendship in in play. Yeah. Which is all kids should be really grasping with, you know? Yeah. Like, that's how kids learn. They learn through play. They learn through discovery. Yeah. And I felt that. I've always been, until, like, today, or, you know, like, maybe the past couple of years, <laughs> I, was, I'm a, I was a scrawny I guy. Was, you took the words <laughs> right out my mouth. You were tiny. Yeah, like, literally, like, if I was wet and the wind blew, I could almost fall down. Like, yeah. I was just that skinny. You know, and I struggled finding my place in a lot of the, like, normal conventions of being, like, a young boy. Like, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, I liked sports, but I wasn't, like, super into, you know, there wasn't, like, everything that I lived for. You know what I'm saying? Like, running around playing football and, like, the pain that comes from that is tough. And I often didn't want to necessarily participate in that, but you don't want to be excluded. Yeah. And the reality is like that process of feeling a, a pressure to participate in norms that feel violent, stressful and painful. Yeah. Is like it's a thing that I don't think we talk about like men talk about enough mm-hmm. in terms of how to like whether or not that's OK for kids to be experiencing. You yeah. Know? At this particular point, little didn't know he was gay. Yeah. But besides that point, if he didn't participate in play the way that the other kids were, yeah. That was the automatic critique. Yeah. And that's true to life. Like I'm a cis heterosexual man, mm-hmm. but for a long time in my life, uh-huh. you know what I'm saying, like I received that same critique because mm-hmm. I didn't or, or or that was like weaponized against me because I didn't participate in all of the same things that my friends who were who were guys were Uh and that hurt me because it was used as a weapon and because i didn't i mean at the time i also didn't know any better (laughs) you know (laughs) and i think we have to deal with that i think it's important to show that what i appreciate about this movie is that it shows how painful that feels and it very much is a critique of masculinity by showcasing how much harm that can do to how people feel about how much love they deserve. Mm. And that's super important because as we have just seen, you know, maybe in a completely different way, yeah. like masculinity causes so many problems in our world. Yeah. And 
that starts as a little boy. You know, that starts when you're a little boy. Yeah. The other thing I really appreciated about this was the way that uh, Mahersha Ali's character, Juan, turned that on its head. Yeah. And they have a complicated relationship, too, because, like, spoiler alert, Paula, Chiron's mother, is addicted to crack. And Juan is, you know, the neighborhood drug dealer. He and Chiron have a complicated relationship because Juan is also a source of love and comfort for Chiron, almost like a central source of love and comfort for him in his young life. Yeah. And their relationship brought a level of humanity mm-hmm. to both characters, mm-hmm. um, to to black men in, a, in film you don't often see, especially in tales about men who grow up in the hood. Mm-hmm. And that that's important. You know what I'm saying? Like Juan was able to recognize that this child, that he needed something, that he was seeking out something, and that he deserved love. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, at least in the beginning, Juan knew or could contextualize why he was doing what he was doing. Yeah. But he felt compelled to do that. And I think that's so important for even myself, I don't have a boy, but I was a young boy who had an older man recognize that I was struggling mm-hmm. and offered me compassion mm-hmm. and offered me mentorship, you know, and guidance. And that's one of the reasons why I feel like I am, you know, a pretty healthy person today. Mm-hmm. That that does happen. That happens in these environments. And we need to make sure that we give light to those types of stories, too. Yeah. The other part that I really, like, appreciated is that, um, that I think is really important about this movie, is it defines Chiron and even um, Kevin, who is, like, Chiron's friend. Friend, yeah. um, As they grow up, they are discovering their own sexuality. Yes. And, you know, while it might be an assumption to, to just say that they are gay... Yeah. You know, that that is something they're exploring in yeah, the movie. Yeah. And what I appreciate about this movie is it um presents that while while it's very cognizant of the homophobia that does exist uh-huh. and it it showcases that in a degree of realism that is frightening as uh-huh. it should be. Uh-huh. Um I think it also creates a place for them within masculinity that's important. We often try to exclude gay men from this conversation around masculinity. Mm. And I think this movie did a great job of, without being, like, forced, you know, th- yeah. it, it, it reckoned with a lot of those things while still keeping the story of these two men at the center of it. Yeah. It centered them in the narrative. Yes. That was the thing. The story was about them exploring their sexuality and, and figuring that out without it necessarily being like a... Kevin is gay and so this, or Chiron is gay and so this. Like, I didn't feel like it was about that. I felt like they were actually able to have other qualities as people. You know, I didn't feel like, like being gay was the point or, or having sex with men was the point of the film. Yeah. Watching it reminded me, I mean, like, obviously I didn't grow up as a, as a young black man, but watching it um, made me think about like how fortunate I've been that I've had so many, you know, older black men who have been tender with me and kind to me and who have loved me. And, you know, I never had any shortage of people like that around. But I also thought thought about differences in the way people regard young men in general. Yeah. I mean, regardless of black, white, whatever, they're not necessarily doted upon. And that was one of the things that I really liked about Juan's relationship with Chiron is that he treated Chiron with such care. Do you know what I mean? I feel like from a young age, masculinity tells boys that you need to learn to fend for yourself. You know, among men of all races, in most cultures, I think, there's this idea that you have to, you are all you have. You have to be the person who everyone is depending on. You have to be the, the fixer of your own problems, even if you are the source. And... I think that starts really, really young with the way that people even just physically interact with young men. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I saw this with my boyfriend, and we were watching it, and we both felt like, I feel like I'm so used to seeing, like, a relationship between an older man and a young boy be dangerous and Mm. unhealthy and abusive. Yeah. We were both sort of on edge the entire time where we were watching the scenes with Juan 
and Chiron unfold because we were just like, oh, what's going to happen? Like, oh, this is very beautiful. Yeah. Like watching this little boy trust this man, teach him how to swim. Do you know what I yeah. mean? You're so invested in Chiron, like f- so early in the film that you just want nothing but happiness and good things for him. And so it was really nice to see that he had that man in his life that he could trust. And he had a man who felt like, who saw him and was like, you deserve to have hot food. You deserve to have clean clothes. You deserve to have a good, like a safe place to sleep. You deserve to have somebody who's going to look out for you and who's going to cradle you still because you're a child and you deserve that. The other thing as I'm, I'm finding as I get older, in order to give that, you have to have some sort of security within yourself. While I'm being a drug dealer, that's complicated. But I felt like when I was presented with this character, I felt like at his core, he was somehow able to be a secure, loving person. And I feel like seeing a whole secure, loving, you know, black man loving a young black boy, it really struck me how unused to that I was, not just in the film, but it's not like I see it overwhelmingly all of the time in in real life. Yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, I'm. Comp- it's not like it doesn't happen. You know what I mean. Yeah. It's not like it doesn't happen, but like, like there's no real social script for that on a wide scale. Like I said, I'm talking not even just black folks. I'm talking across cultures. Period. Totally. Period. I mean, I mean, I can. I can speak to that pretty di- directly, just because mm-hmm. like it's. I mean, that's happened to me, and like even that same fear you know like i mean i've talked before about like the fact that you know my father and i were you know have been estranged for different periods Mm -hmm. and at one point in my life like i said before like you know there uh you know i had a mentor Mm -hmm. i wasn't in a program yeah this man came up to me he was like you know hey do you want to like like do you want to hang out and i'm like at first i was like dude what what are you what are you talking about like you know i'm saying like i was distrustful of that yeah of, of you know him trying to develop a relationship with me because that was such a unique thing. And even from my understanding of what mentorship relationships were supposed to be, I was confused. And like, eventually it took a long time for me to be able to develop trust. Mm. I think it's important for us to create the opportunities for young, like boys to feel trust in their relationships with adults yeah because if we don't feel trust you know what i'm saying like you can't ha- you can't access again that tenderness that care yeah and y- you're going to be walled off yeah you know what i'm saying and you will you know access a lot of the, the more unhealthy parts of masculinity yeah you know now that i think about it so many coming of age dramas with black men young yeah. black men they're kind of contemporary right there's always some sort of like holy female character. Do you know what I'm saying? There's always some sort of like the mom, the auntie, the girlfriend, the cousin, whoever. There's always some sort of like there's always some sort of holy female character who's there to dispense the tenderness and basically to you know to throw out that life preserver. And it was really it was really really nice to see at this time be a man like because even if there are I, fi- I find that in a lot of those narratives even if there is a man present it's like a lawrence fish in boys in the hood type of thing do you know what i'm saying yeah. you're getting that you're getting that that tough love you're getting yeah. that you know what i'm saying or ving rames and baby boy you know what i mean you're getting that real there's a harshness to it do yeah. you know what i'm saying it's like the assumption is that all boys need tough love i think all people need tough love i need tough love sometimes myself but, like, I just... There needs to be a counterpoint to that. Yeah. There needs to be another side to that coin. Yeah, it has yeah. to be tempered. And I, I appreciated that, like, you know, you got the sense that Juan didn't play. But you also got the sense that, like, this boy was safe and that he was being loved and that he was being cared for. And, like, I haven't seen it nearly enough in film as much as I would like. Yeah. There's this, like, love and tenderness in, you know, the relationship between like a child and an adult. Separately from that, Chiron has also grown to experience this like love and tenderness in his romantic and friendship relationships as well. Yeah. That I thought was also rendered like very beautifully. Yeah. He like Chiron is someone again who like doesn't have a lot of trust and it makes sense. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like he he's just been through a lot. Yeah. You know, things that people go through but that he shouldn't necessarily have to. Yeah. It's clear, like, as an adolescent, kind of in the second period of his life, Mm -hmm. that he doesn't quite know what he's supposed to receive Mm -hmm. in, in, like, in friendship. Yeah. And he's, like, seeking that out, but it's also, like, shrouded in so much fear. 
Yeah. Because his environment is so, like, dangerous to him. Yeah. Not just because he lives in the hood, but because literally, like, his interactions with, like, the other, like, boys in his school is dangerous. Yeah. Um, I think, like, I mean, I I didn't grow up as a young man, but I think, like, all young men, regardless of physical size, athletic prowess, where they're from, what their ethnic background is, I think that all young men have that overhanging, looming, you know, you're going to experience some type of violence. Like, it's expected, right? Yeah. Yeah. I remember wondering what my first real fight was going to be. And that being a marker of me understanding how, like, much of a man that I was. Uh Uh-huh. I remember being around like 10 and this this little white boy said something to me that he shouldn't have said. And we fought and like we fought for real. Uh-huh. And, you know, we basically fought till we got tired and we both left, like went home. And I remember feeling like, like I was, I was a mess by the time I got home, but I felt relief that in that moment I could defend myself. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, maybe as I get older, I'm more prepared. Like, I think about that in hindsight. Yeah. And that's scary. At 10, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm thinking, like, that's how I need to mentally be, pre- like, preparing myself for, like, for the rest of my life. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Is that yeah, making any yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah. And I think some of those same themes were reflected in the movie. You know, like, Chiron was constantly being challenged. Yeah. Like, constantly being challenged. Oh, he had a vicious bully at school. That situation comes to a head in a way that I don't necessarily want to, you know, share here. But, yeah, like I felt like as a viewer, I could start to see him doing, like, the mental calculus, trying to figure out, okay, how many more days can I do this? What precisely about me would need to change in order for things to be different? Like, you know, I felt like he was constantly, like, his brain was constantly trying to size up what was going to be happening around him. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And there's a math to it. And I felt like when I was watching Chiron as a teenager, I felt like he was constantly doing that math, trying to figure out how he can keep himself, you know, at the very least, you know, safe, if not comfortable, or at least be able to be at ease in some in some situations as opposed to constantly on guard. Yeah, totally. And in the midst of all this, mm-hmm. he's also kind of discovering like like little pockets for like what some type of love looks like. Yeah. You know, and and like that was, you felt a degree of relief for him. Yeah. Because his situation was so dire. Yeah. But it was also just beautiful to see like a small pocket of normalcy, yeah. I guess, for him. So th- there's, a, there's a scene where Chiron and his friend are at the beach and they have an intimate moment. They're just discovering like I would say a degree of love. Like I don't know if that's love, but it's it's like a, like I'm maybe that's like maybe the word that I'm trying to find. Yeah, it's is not also love. Important. Well, I'm trying to think. So like it's funny when you talk about violence being like a thing where you're like you're ten and you're like okay, like how can you know what I'm saying like I had this fight. I know I can defend myself going forward. I feel like when you are a girl, regardless of your sexual orientation, there is the looming threat of sexual violence always around you all of the time. Mm. And like, you know, your family prepares you for it. Whoever raised you prepares you for it. Like, you know, that's where you're instructed on how you dress and behave and who you hang out with and what you do, right? It's like you want to be attractive because you want people to like you and you want to be thought of as valued, but you also want to like consistently be fighting any threat of sexual violence. So like... So many of like my earliest sexual experiences as like a like a teenager mm-hmm. were just completely unhealthy. I reckon that that's not far off for most women. Mm-hmm. I reckon that it's certainly not far off for a, a lot of young black women or black women my age. And I'm talking about with peers. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm yeah. talking about like with peers in like a dating situation. Those sexual experiences were terrible and like harmful and like you know sort of set in place patterns that like I thought were acceptable and totally normal for a really long time and the thing that struck me about the way that Kevin and Chiron interact is that like their intimate moment on the beach is just like devoid of that nastiness like to me young sexuality like young teenage sexuality for me as a woman who, who dates men it's terrible It's terrible and it's violent and it's disgusting and it makes you feel like shit a lot of the time. And like I felt like when I was watching them having this moment, like I wouldn't necessarily call it love, not necessarily sex, right? Yeah. But like they're having this moment together, like a half moment, which pretty much a lot of times when you're a teenager, even if you have a serious relationship, it's always a half moment. They're having this half moment 
that doesn't have it's it was just devoid of that ugliness and yeah. that really affected me as like I don't have a whole lot in common with either of those characters but I remember thinking like how how lucky for you that your first brush with this was so lovely like how lucky for you that this moment was so lovely that's how I felt in that moment oh, that's a great point yeah like you just yeah I mean, you just you you want that, like you want that for everyone. Like you, you feel do. like you feel like those moments, those first experiences are that's you know it's a bit of how it should be. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that, you yeah. Should, you should feel comfortable. You should feel like safe. He felt comfortable. He felt safe. Yeah. He felt, you know, he felt okay. Yeah. And I just want to make sure we have time to get to like yeah, there's yeah, a yeah, couple yeah. like I think there's like a couple other things. Um, to... Well, yeah. So something for me, the thing for me that got me the most, there was just so much like black love. You know, Chiron was like I felt like he just got himself from moment to moment, and I felt like he was able to cobble together some sort of community for himself. Yeah. Even if that community was only like two people. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I felt like one of the things that that sort of tied together all three segments was like. Chiron learning early on what love looked like and felt like so that when loving moments came in into his life again, he knew how to recognize them. And then I think as an adult, he knew how to ask for those things. Yeah. You know, seeing the the maternal and, and you know, paternal love that Juan and his girlfriend, who was played by Janelle Monet, Teresa, um, like seeing the love that Juan and Teresa had for Chiron. He got something from that, and yeah. he was able to use that as a as an internal touchstone. Just seeing black people loving up on each other was just like it really did something for me. You know, we have our fair share of black romantic comedies. I always wish we had more. <laughs> we have some more like black family Christmas movies coming out this year or whatever. Yeah. I always wish we had more. Uh, I don't want to discredit beautiful work that's been done by D. Rees or by Ava DuVernay, or by any other contemporary, you know, Spike Lee, shit, by any other contemporary black director working now. But I felt like there was something really special about Moonlight and that I just felt like I saw, I had all of these intense moments of intimacy and love that were just interspersed throughout the film. Well, I think what felt different is that we don't often get these characters experiencing that love. Like, yeah. characters in this environment, characters who live in the projects, characters who don't, who aren't probably, like, some sort of middle class or yeah. already successful. Yeah, And And I'm not... I'm, and, again, that's not shade to those narratives because yeah. I think a lot of that is, like, wanting to project ourselves in these spaces that we should have access to and should be in. Yeah. But but in the process, sometimes you can forget that, you know, sometimes we forget about the people, what probably the majority of, of people who don't live in those environments or have access to that type of, like, money. Yeah. And so, yeah, this movie definitely felt different because it was people who are in poverty, mm-hmm. um, but still finding a way to, like you said, create that community and create like opportunities for for love. Yeah, and I, I just I like that they were everyday opportunities. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think that that's something that anybody can relate to. I totally think it's something everybody can. It was something we should all like have access to to yeah. see it. Yeah, yeah. To see yeah. our and also to see ourselves like realized in these types of ways. Yeah, like, yeah. And also to know sometimes that like you you provide that for another person. Do you know mm, what I mean? Yeah. In remembering your intrinsic value, also remembering that like you can sometimes be that for other people and that you're indispensable in that way. And like, I mean, real fucking talk. <laughs> We're gonna need a hell of a lot of that in the next few years. Yeah. I mean, for me, like I'm getting to the age where I can where I have enough power and agency where I can like start to redefine how I want to express myself. Yeah, and I'm telling you what, this shit where you start hitting up on 30, you start really <laughs> looking at real. how you it's real. It's not like I feel old, but it's just like my birthday's coming up. By the time I guess this comes out, it'll just happen. But I'm starting to realize like you realize just how deep like the wrong fucked up shit that you have been taught in one way or another by the world about how you need to do life. Yeah. You just realize how deep that shit is and how far you have to go to change. Totally. Do you know what I mean? And that, and that that process never stops. But Seeing seeing a movie like Moonlight, I think it helps to inform that, like yeah. in, in terms of who I want to be and what I want to provide for other yeah. people. Yeah, you know, and I think that's super important. And I think 
I feel like that's at least a part of what, you know, Barry Jenkins and, and Terrell McCraney were going for. Yeah. You know, like it's such a it's such a small story, but it's such a big one at the same time. Yeah. And that was like that was that was excellent. But we are sadly out of time. We're out of time. But we will be back soon. So we want to just say thank you. Yeah, thank you. Previously, the show didn't have any credits um, because it was pretty evident that only Eric and I were (laughs) together alone. Uh, But for sake of, you know, our new edition, we want to just let you guys know that this episode (laughs) uh, was uh, produced, edited, slapped together by myself, Brittany Luce. Eric Eddings, who's sitting across from me. Yes. And our brand spanking new producer, Bethel Hapta. Yes. So shout out to the, I guess now we have a squad. Now we have a, now we have a crew. We have a crew. We got yeah. a squad. We got a group. So that was our terrible fucking credits. Oh my God. It, might, it might change. It's probably going to change. Yeah, we're going to get better. At, <laughs> we're, we're struggling. We got a lot. We got a lot of it's shit. There's a lot going, going on, on man. I know. It makes me sad, too, because, I mean, we didn't even get to talk about, like, any of our recent travels. Like, we both went to, and did so much cool stuff. We don't have time to do that now. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but we want to say thank you. And if you want to say thank you to us. Yes. You can leave us a five-star review. Yes, on iTunes. You can subscribe to the show and encourage all of your friends and family to do the same. You can also donate to us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash for nerds. We need your money. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, we want to, if you want to just continue supporting Good Work, support us. Yes, and Bethel. Now we can actually yes. have a face and a name to put with the, <laughs> like, me and Eric don't make no money off yeah, of yeah, this yeah. Patreon. And, and we're cool with that. We're like, cool with that. No, y'all gotta, Bethel's been, you know, she's been, uh, she's been busting it. She's yeah. been getting it done and, and she deserves, uh, she deserves some bread. So, all right. Help us this out. All right. Uh, be back we'll, soon. We'll be back soon. Bye, you guys. Bye. Hey, everybody, it's Rob Lowe here. If you haven't heard, I have a podcast that's called Literally with Rob Lowe. And basically, it's conversations I've had that really make you feel like you're pulling up a chair at an intimate dinner between myself and people that I admire, like Aaron Sorkin or Tiffany Haddish, Demi Moore, Chris Pratt, Michael J. Fox, There are new episodes out every Thursday, so subscribe, please, and listen wherever you get your podcasts.